Ladies and gentlemen, I'm back on YouTube. Thank you one and all that supported throughout CVVAM. Obviously, edgy Icarus flew a bit too close to the censorship sun and... I've been in the sin bin for the past fortnight. That's why you haven't seen me here. But I'm going to be relying on YouTube less and less. And you're going to be seeing much more of me in other more trusted venues. There is big stuff in the works. Big, big stuff, which I'll keep quiet for now. But I will tell you the big news on Saturday, just before my interview with Matt Letizier. Today, I'm speaking with Ben Emlyn Jones and Alan Tate about the screams that have been heard in the Welsh town of Ammonford. I don't bring you the stories that everyone's talking about. I bring you the stories that I think more people need to be talking about. Always censored, never silent. This is Unwashed. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here today with Ben Emlyn Jones and Alan Tate, and we're turning off in a different direction to what I've been covering recently. Um, this is going to be a long one, but I think this is absolutely necessary because we just need as many people as we can hearing about this story and spreading the word. Um, so Ben is pretty much the only journalist that's been covering this properly and um I, th I think it's fair to say you've struck up a good relationship with alan as a result of this alan being the key yeah. witness in everything that's going on here and the guy that's gathering all of the evidence and basically doing the investigation um off his own back and it's very complicated but to go right into it uh starting with ben what are the ammonford screams Right. Well, I first came across this subject when I actually read about it in a, in a newspaper. I think it was the South Wales Argus or was the Western Mail or something like that. And it talks about um, a man who lived in Ammonford in South Wales who's having a really weird experience. I come from Wales myself originally, and um, I was taking interest in what goes on in the old homeland. And um, this what he talked about sounded horrible. He was living next door to a, to a manicurist's. And um, what happened was there was strange, there was things such as it was a lane between the two buildings. And this article reported that in this lane, there were strange smells, strange chemicals that made this gentleman, Alan, and his wife, Christine, feel sick. Strange materials were found in the drains and noises were coming from the cellar. Now, um, Alan's house has a cellar. The manicurist cellar is next door and... What sounded like horrible noises were coming, which includes human voices in great distress. This was in the newspaper. It was covered in great detail. I wrote an article about this. When I wrote this article, Alan got in touch with me. He read it and got in touch with me. And we did a series of interviews. I think we've done about five or six now, haven't we? We're planning on doing another one because Alan has released two more videos. Alan has an absolute mountain of evidence that he's gathered. And... Um, 
I'm a bit concerned. What concerns me is firstly, the mainstream media then forgot about this story, even though it was concentrating on other similar events, for example, um, the, the deaths of a, a large number of people in the back of a lorry in Hollyhead um, a little while ago. And um, similar events, there were some prosecutions of people for owning slaves, primarily Vietnamese people for owning slaves, and um, things like that, and human trafficking. So, and Alan has received some correspondence from the police, which I think uh, is very suspicious. And I'm sure Alan can uh, take it from here and tell us the rest of the story, because he's the central figure in this. Well, yeah, just to cut in very quickly, Alan, um, when I looked this story up on Google, um, it was clear to me that the mainstream media did actually cover it, but very, very briefly. And this was back in sort of 2018. Um, papers like The Mirror quickly skirted over this story. So um, so this is a long time that, that this has been ignored. Um, when did you move into this property and... Give us the time scale around when everything happened. Okay, we bought the property back in 2008. Um, we didn't actually move into it as such. It was meant to be for our retirement. Uh, we were living in Bulgaria at the time, travelling between the two. So when it got cold in Bulgaria, their winter's pretty bad, gets down to anything minus 25 perhaps. We used to come back to the UK and we'd fix it up. Uh, it was a fire-damaged property when we bought it. We had to put a new roof on and things like that. All this started happening, or well, we noticed it started happening in 2018. Uh, Chris and I was working, were working late one night. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning or something like that. We just wanted to get something finished. Christine went down to make a cup of coffee. It's important, you know, that my office is actually in the highest point. It's in the actual loft of that building. So she's gone down one, two floors. Gone down, made a cup of coffee, come back, and she tells me that there's unusual noises coming from next door. Well, at that time, the next door building, it was semi-derelict. Uh, nobody lived there. It was in pitch darkness. And she kept telling me about these noises that sounded like um, automated machines and flushing noises. We were later to find there was actually no water connected into that building. Anyway, she talked me into it, so I walked downstairs and I listened. And sure enough, there were flushing noises coming. And there was some sort of automated beeping. It was making like three beeping noises, and then breaking, then making another three beeping noises. It was just odd. By the time we got back in, we were absolutely exhausted. So we gave up on the coffee, decided to go to bed. As I was going up, out of curiosity, I turned my phone on to record and hung it out of an outside window. Um, and that's really all that happened. Following day, we got up. When we went to play them back... We could hear noises in the background. Not only did you get the automated machines and the flushing noises, the flushing noises were every hour. But in the background, the noises of, well, they're horrific.
It's women and children crying, screaming, uh, screaming for help. Um, that's it. And it's all been reported to the police who brushed over it. I mean, if you watch any of my documentaries, you'll see in the first one that the police investigation seems to be nothing more than a cover-up. What they actually did, initially when I told them about the noises, is they totally ignored me. In frustration, um, I wrote to other police forces, and about, after about six weeks, able to, uh, sorry, Dover Powers Police did actually do a mini sort of investigation. But they started by inviting, uh, sorry, they invited... They started by talking to the guy next door and asking for an appointment to go inside his house. Now, they gave him an appointment six weeks in the future. And the very next thing is the police say, well, we didn't find anything. Well, would you expect them to? Okay, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's two elements to this. Um, and, and we better cover the, sort of discovering the noises first and then move on to how you've been completely gaslit by um by the police over this but to make it clear you are not the only person who has recorded these noises and 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 yeah to make it clear you haven't just heard these noises you've recorded them ample times and it's not just you is it no the police say that there's no further evidence so they're not going to look into it and, and that's why we made the documentary the Amaford untouchables in the documentary, nine other people went back into that house. They've recorded noises for themselves. In total, we've got about, it must be a thousand hours of audio anyway. All those people are willing to stand up and say, well, look, we've recorded these noises. What's going on? They're totally ignored by the police. My name is... I did an investigation in number 20 College Street and we did put listening devices in, in the cellar and upstairs and we did hear some strange noises which sounded like children and adults arguing. Um, my opinion, there's something definitely going on in there. Yeah, with regards to the house, there is something that I don't think it's necessarily isolated to just that property or the one next door. I think there's something bigger there on a subterranean level which attaches to more properties on you know we've heard things ourselves there in the basement when we were down there so and with the recordings when you listen to them back it does sound like this brothel or a knocking shop next door when you hear the other noises and yes it is unexplainable but like i said i don't think it's necessarily isolated to below your property yeah describe describe exactly what happened with the police investigation because i think i think this is clear you hear these noises is the first thing you do call the police and and what is your contact with them and your experience with them we sent them the recordings um we told them what was going on we made a complaint over i can't remember if it was 101 i think it was actually a 999 call that we made um but nothing happened and it didn't happen for Oh, a good six weeks. And after about a month of nothing happening, I contacted other police forces, and one of them was the Avian and Somerset Police Force, who got in touch with Duffet Powers, and then we had this mini-investigation. Um, I mean, the mini-investigation, it was fraud from the start. In the very beginning, two officers were sent, and they just stood outside the house, and they stood outside the house for two or three days. And I mean, if there are already criminals about, seeing two police officers outside your house is going to alert you if nothing else what you mean they were just milling around with their notepads sort of making it obvious that they were at a scene being doing exactly the opposite of what you'd do if you hoped to catch someone 
that's about it. I was told by the lady in uh, John Francis. Now that's the estate agent that's next door. That the two officers was just yeah standing outside the house. And and presumably you have not been treated very well on an individual level by the police. Like how how have they viewed you? Because they're supposed to view you as someone who's reported a crime and you know take it seriously as a concerned member of the public. Is that yeah? From start to finish, all the way through this, I've not been taken seriously. Um, at one point, a police inspector uh, released um, a statement about me, saying I'd been seen by the mental health crisis team in Amonford. That was a story that was going around at the time. Lots of comments were being made that I was delusional, that I was mad, things like that. Uh, we disproved the inspector's comment, and they actually apologised. And well, I need people to understand the scale of of what the noises point towards. Um, because this is not the same as as hearing sort of a domestic situation through the wall. First of all, um, is there sorry? Is there a basement next door? Right. To understand the basements in front of my house, well, let's get started. There's a Vietnamese nail bar called Sophia Nails. Now above that is a flat. Now I own the flat. Behind that is a house. And underneath Sophia Nails is a basement, and behind Sophia Nails, underneath my house, are two long basements. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's just that um, there are. It, it's the peculiarity of the noises. There's some that include a motorbike, and and what was the time scale that these were recorded over as well? This is not an incident. This is a. A sustained pattern with with some really peculiar stuff going on down there. Can you can you describe just the range of sounds that you and the other nine people was it nine more people have captured? There was more than nine people that actually went back to the house, but there was nine of them on the Amethyst Untouchables, and they they talk out and they give you, they share their experiences with you. They tell you what happened in their own words. I listened to a couple of them, uh, and obviously, um, yeah, but there's definitely something going on. So I've got a funny feeling there's more people involved than what we think. In your opinion, do you think that we've made those recordings up? Those oh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. 100%. Okay. I can, I can guarantee that. Oh, yes, the recordings are definitely genuine, 100%. I have actually put the recordings there, and with blank recordings and there are, we'll actually pick things up ourselves and there's no other person that had the keys for the property. Ben, what do you think this actually points towards? It's, it was very, very uh, disturbing. I mean, when I first came across this, I thought it might be some kind of paranormal phenomenon. Um, quickly, I ruled that out after talking to Alan. Um, I've listened to a great number of the recordings Alan sent me. It's actually uh, disturbing to listen to, very disturbing. <laughs> Now, there is, you know, as Alan's critics have pointed out, there is some background noise. Uh, you can hear traffic on the road, things like that occasionally. 
But there's absolutely no doubt there are other sounds which are muffled. I mean, as you can clear, they're clearly not coming from outside. And they are human voices. There's the beeping noise and the mechanical noises that come, are coming from underground. There is uh, the the voices are sometimes intelligible. You can sometimes make out, um, especially male voices speaking in English. Sometimes you can hear foreign language, definitely not Welsh. Um, you can, but you can hear other languages being spoken, which I can't decipher. Some of the people there's weeping and there's crying. Um, and Alan, um, Alan has also found he's done a lot of background research. Um, the lady who runs the nail bar, Alan, um, who's she? Because she, she seems she has been looked at before, hasn't she, by the police? Yes, yeah, she has. Her name was uh, Tring Phan Tran, and she was the leaseholder of Sophie Dales. So that's the Vietnamese nail bar. Uh, she was sentenced for her part in 15, I think it was, 15 illicit uh, drug factories, together with, I think it was 20 other Vietnamese people. One of the other Vietnamese people um, was her partner, a guy called, you know, I can't remember. Sorry? No, I can't remember his name. But the point was, he had another Vietnamese nail bar, and that was in Clenethi, which is about 12 miles away. My point is this. They never made the connection. The police never made the connection to the nail bars. Never, ever mentioned if it wasn't for our investigation. Well, I mean, the police cover-up is such an important element of this, and this is where I think it gets a bit more complicated because um, there's, like, on-the-surface evidence of a Vietnamese slavery, modern-day slavery operation running underground. But in these recordings, you've got um, people speaking in, in English and in other languages uh, that appear to be both, uh, shall we say, perpetrators and the people in distress. Again, both in English and in other languages. Um it's just it's very extensive you know there's there's we as ben you already mentioned that we've we've heard stories like this before of sort of modern day yeah. slavery operations running um but the english voices point towards something else it's it's indicates that that the whoever is being imprisoned and it's likely there are people being imprisoned within that building they may not all be Vietnamese. They may come from a variety of different places around the world. Possibly they use English as a lingua franca. Um, some of them might even be native people who have maybe some of the many people who disappear. I've never heard Welsh spoken um, in any of the recordings, which indicates there are probably no local people or Welsh people, certainly not Welsh speaking, but they, it's likely they come from a long way off. In other words, if they were if they were picking people up from the local area, you'd get some Welsh speakers as well. Um, but really, what scares me is the the response from the police, and we've seen this before. We've seen this with the grooming gangs and things like that. We've seen the non-reaction of the state to certain suspicious and indeed sometimes quite blatantly um, criminal activities. And it's sometimes, very often, these scandals eventually come out and there's a big, oh, my God, we're so sorry, we never knew, and things like this. And there's attempt, there's always an attempt to um, try and backtrack and try and uh, 
worm their way out of blame when, when these things are exposed. And what we'll probably, I think we'll see at some point that might well happen in Amersford. Although, Alan, you'll get no official apology or vindication, I'm sure. It'll, there'll be some scapegoats. But if the, if the police know about it and not doing anything, they've, they've probably been told not to do anything about it by people very high up. Or people quite senior, and certainly in the local area, maybe at a national level as well. So it just makes you wonder what else is what else is going on of this nature in our in our country today, which is being essentially being allowed to be done, or even actively being done by our governments and by our officials in the police, political figures, social services, things like that. I mean. You, you know, you heard of Brian Gerrish, and I, I think you have, Nick. Um, Alan, have you heard of Brian Gerrish of UK I Column? I have, UK something, yeah. He's, his programme often reports on similar activities to yourself. What's happening? I do, I do believe this is more widespread than even what you've discovered. And um, it frightens me. I mean, there seems to be some, it seems to be some kind of, I don't know if it's directly connected to the nail bar, but you've recorded gunfire and things like that. And some people have claimed it's fireworks. It's not. It's distinctly gunfire going off outdoors. Well, wasn't there also the sound of a motorbike? Yeah, there was a sound of a motorbike. Uh, there's some sounds of traffic as well. But I think it's reasonable to believe that there are lots of roads um, around that area. It could just be the noise of street noise. Where it's going past, it's running by the tunnel. Um, that seems to make sense to me. If I can just go back to the Vietnamese angle for a minute, there was a review left for Sophia Nails by a guy called Viet Nguyen. Now, Viet Nguyen is the man that was in the first slavery um, conviction in the UK. Wow, sorry. When was that? When was this conviction and where was it as well? Er... Uh... Where was it? I read it. it. Was I believe it was a nail bar in Burton on Trent, and there was another one in Bristol. Do you remember what it's called? No, I can't remember what it was called. I can send you over the articles and the links. It was definitely in the news. Yeah, I mean, Alan and I discussed this in our own interviews, um, and it's very often. I think it was this guy had a cannabis farm or something. And he was using slaves or people who brought over from Vietnam with a promise of a new life. He was going to give them a job and things like that. And, and he, they ended up being trapped in this basement tending cannabis plants or something like that. What was that? Was that it, Alan? Was that the guy? No, you've got the wrong one. Unfortunately. Oh, sorry. Well, there's, a, there's a lot of evidence of, um, of basically a drug farm um, in Ammonford as well, isn't there? There was a drugs drugs factory um, in Ammonford. Uh, there's been quite a few small, um, smaller range ones. Another news story that might interest you. Now, I've talked about on the right-hand side is John Francis. On the left-hand side is a fast food shop. Now, the guy who ran that was a guy called Mustafa Bimboga. And he's a rapist. Uh, he was jailed for 12 years for rape at gunpoint and attempted child molestation. Well, this is it. We seem to be hearing two, uh, yeah, two 
both horrifying situations that it wouldn't really make a lot of sense for them to overlap. One, one being um, a drug farm, a, a a Vietnamese one, presumably. Um, and what, what isn't there the residue of various substances being found in, in the property? There was residue that we took from a pipe. So there's a drain pipe that comes from the next door property. After we heard these noises, because the drain pipe only came from the one property, I pushed steel wool up into the drain pipe. Now, there's no water on that property. So overnight, early in the morning, I come out and there's some fatty residue. I test it with a reagent test, and it reacts for MDMA. But I'm no expert. And Alan, you were uh, you the chemical. There seems to be some kind of chemical pollution coming from the property. You mentioned that you and Christine were made ill. This was in your on your first website by some of this residue. Yes, I mean at one point. Um, a very, very strong chemical gas was entered into the house. This was after we made the recordings, and we still feel to today that it was an attempt to kill us. Um, we just didn't stay at the property. Wow. And that was another thing that the police um, did nothing to investigate, which, which is a pretty reasonable thing for a member of the public to raise the alarm bell about. Um, there's a poisonous gas in my property. It, it was worse than that. There were two coppers. So um, we had a van that we, we decided just to live in the back of the van to keep ourselves safe. The two coppers were coming up and they were blatantly taking the mickey out of us. They found it funny. Yeah, so I wanted to cover this, is that there's clearly two sides in this battle here because you've managed to get nine people to help you in your investigation. And that's just in terms of going down and actually recording the stuff as well and now you're gathering pace with independent journalists uh who want to know more about this so it doesn't look to me like you're being treated like the sort of crazy man about town but then there is that is also going on at the same time there is a campaign to make you look like a sort of crazy man who uh just loves the attention is that fair <laughs> it's not fair that I get the attention, no. Um, it, it, it comes down to, yes, it appears that there was a deliberate attempt to make people think I was delusional. Now, when the delusional argument first collapsed, somebody pointed out to them, well, how can a guy who's delusional record the voices in his head? And at that point, the, other, the, the people that were saying it changed and said, I'm downloading stuff from the internet. So it went from being, I'm delusional, to I'm recording the noises off the internet and then just playing them back for people for fame. Well, yeah, and then they've started by we need to smear his character and then they change their reasoning for doing so. I've had that happen to me. Someone decides that you're a target for whatever reason. Generally, you know something about them that they don't want other people to know. And so they need to destroy your reputation and so it doesn't really matter. They they hop about the reasoning. First of all, you're just a crazy person who's hearing noises. Oh, oh no, the noises are real. They're just not not from in there. How would that explain nine other people going and and recording the noises though? They never ever do explain the other nine people. Um, it's as if they don't exist. It's the same for the police as well. I mean, the police will not listen to those nine people. Um, it's a crazy situation, but there you are. So um, could I add something, Alan and Nick? Sure. And whenever, whenever 
we we do an interview very often people will appear in our public chat and sometimes they post comments on the videos underneath um very often they're saying that alan is crazy he's done this i've had let i've had emails from people saying alan is um all kinds of things nasty things they've said about alan i've asked to produce i've said some okay well that's you you accusing him do you have any evidence of this and they don't generally go quiet after that um alan's not the only person incidentally this, this is said about but it seems to be alan has identified some of the people who've been posting as people involved with the nail bar um, do you remember Alan that lady who's posting on the Spreaker chat page? Uh, yes, uh, Spreaker comments. Yeah, she was involved with the nail bar. Uh, she's actually the person who owns the nail bar. Uh, her and her brother Gareth. Uh, her comment, from memory, her comment said, "There are many uh, I can't say the word irregularities in Alan's statement." But she showed no empathy or concern for any of the noises of the screaming or anything like that. And they were coming from the back of her shop. Yes, if if that were coming from the back of my shop, I would be I would be very concerned. And so you're you're saying the owners of the shop are trying to paint you as a crazy person. Yes, I think that's fair. Yes. With the help of the police. Well, whether it's with the help of the police or they're acting independently, I don't know. But it does appear to be that they're all singing off the, the same hymn sheet. Yeah, yeah. This is um, this is disturbing. I mean, if we if we really are living in a country where this sort of thing happens, Alan, I've I visited Alan in his his van, and it's like it's not like a camper van. It's like a it's literally like a a transport van. He's converted in the back into a home, and um, he's got like a gas stove and things like that. And there's no windows or anything. Um, and he and Christine have been living in that. And um, I've, um, it, it's, what do you do? I mean, what do you, why, firstly, you know, I'm sure you wouldn't be living in there as a matter of choice, Alan. I mean, it wouldn't be, it's not the sort of place I would choose to live if I, if I had a permanent home somewhere. And so if, if people are make, saying you've made this up, there's no real motive for you to make it up. Why would you? Why would you do that? Why would you go and live in a van when you got a perfectly good? Well, I know you've sold it now, but you had a perfectly good house. No, I totally agree with you. Um, there is, I haven't got a motive. Uh, even my YouTube channel's not. People say that I'm making money out of it, but even my YouTube channel isn't monetized. Um, we're doing this for one thing and one thing only, and that's to get justice for those children. Um, we've got recordings where it says it seems like children have died. And we don't actually think the children are with us anymore, but we do want to get justice for them. And, of course, to stop any perpetrators from hiring people in the future. It just I mean, seems overwhelming, this. It just seems like if this is really what the country's like, and, and maybe the world beyond, where this sort of thing goes on, and people people find out about it, and you try to alert the authorities, that is, the, through the police, which is the instinctive thing to do. That's what they're supposed to be there for. And then not not only do they do nothing, you know, their 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 indifference and their, their inability to react is, I think, suspiciously culpable. As if they know about it, they don't want to do anything about it. And you you ask yourself, well, why is that? Why have they they've clearly been given orders because they don't do anything without orders? Who's given the orders? Someone someone powerful enough to tell the police what to do? And so if if such 
evil is being done, evil actions are being done in this country, right in our streets, in our noses, under our houses, behind our walls. And the the people who are supposed to stop it were not stopping it, and they seem to know it's going on and want it to go on. Where do you go from there? Where well, where where else do you find help? Where else do you seek justice? I mean, there's there's such a profound pattern with this topic in this country, as you've already said, Ben. The grooming gangs that was sort of a just a massive wake up call for me in terms of understanding. Uh, what the government is willing to do to keep an agenda rolling forward and what they're willing to turn a blind eye to and cover up. The scale of that is um, is unbelievable. But then I was also aware of the elite level stuff. I was always also aware of Annika Lucas, the whistleblower uh, who was a child sex slave for a Belgian elite paedophile ring and then there's the work of sort of John Wedger and is it Bill Maloney? Bill Mahoney? Bill uh, Maloney, yeah. Pine Nash Films, yeah. That was on that was the, that was on the Channel Islands. Ted Heath was involved in that. Yeah. Ted Heath. The, who's and, Prime Minister? Well, well, I mean, yeah, that's the, and then look at everyone that's been knighted, apparently. The, the whole Savile thing and everything with Andrew and Epstein. You know, this it, this looks like it's facilitated and encouraged or on all levels from what i can see it looks like the police uh do what they can to make sure that this continues but the details on this are like they're pretty murky um so i just want to ask alan like do you have any conclusions on what you actually think is going on under there or what has been going on or because uh, uh, the details are fuzzy here to my mind, it's I don't know. It's there are it's slavery of some sort. It has to be. It's certainly abuse. I mean, you can literally hear the children. Of, we've got recordings. They're very clear. those particular ones they're crying they're screaming you can actually hear the words please help me help me please help me there's another one and this is strangest of things you can hear what sounds like three shots from a gun perhaps a shotgun and in the middle there's a scream just after somebody says don't shoot me and i mean if you take that to the police and the police do nothing one of two things can be true. Either I'm completely barking nuts or the police aren't doing anything. All, you know, all the other people who've independently gathered evidence, there's the fact that you, you shared this evidence with me. You've got no motive to lie, as far as I can see. You, you gained nothing from this. Uh, it's what you've discovered matches with what lots of other people have discovered what goes on in this in this country, we mentioned Bill Maloney in the Channel Islands, um, and we Nick was just talking about a whole list of people. These kinds of whistleblowers go back much further. I mean, it's Kathy O'Brien, mm. um, who's, who's her book is she's written two books now, very interesting. Um, there's rumours that um, 
there's there's rumors that in Hollywood they were doing this from the very beginning, that there was institutional abuse of children, there was drugs, things like that, and it was all done. It was all controlled at the very highest level. It was like really, there's there's where do you turn to? But all the people who have political power in this country seem to be either indifferent or in on it. And you know, we have Brexit. Three tomorrow is the third anniversary of Brexit, but we have now. Um, we have an administration in Britain which is just completely and utterly totally globalist. We basically have globalist interim managers since they got rid of Boris Johnson. He he was useless anyway towards the end. So um, it's difficult to know where we go forward from it. People who don't want this sort of thing to happen and want to do something to stop it, it's hard to know where we go forward from here. Well, I, I think the key is just to shine a spotlight on it because I do think, like, Alan, do you have an opinion on the the fact that this story was featured in, I'm sure it was the Mirror and papers like that, in 2018? I mean, what happened there? Did you ring them up, report the story, and then they just sort of treated it as a spooky ghost story from what I can see? As Ben said, he presumed it was paranormal because that's exactly how they reported it. And... There's no evidence that points towards this being paranormal in any way. No, I think newspapers sell more uh, more papers if it, they have got a paranormal angle. Um, it, it seems to appeal to more people. Now, I told the police about these newspaper reports as they were coming out, and to date, three of them, the newspaper ones that were more supportive towards our sort of side of the story, have actually been removed from the internet. The only ones that are still up there are the ones that have got the slant on the ghost story. Now, another interesting thing for you, this, this bit might really interest you, is the nine people that went back, some of them actually went back because they wanted to record noises to prove that it was paranormal. And we let them go back because we thought at the end of the day, they're going to prove it one way or the other. And all of them left with the same inkling, that it's not paranormal at all, that those are real people. That's amazing. It attracted ghost hunters and they came away going, it ain't ghosts and helped yep. you. I was, I was like a bit like that myself, Nick, because I, I mean, I've got an open mind when it comes to the paranormal. It's something I'm very interested in. And when I first heard about this, I thought, is this another, is like some strange ghost story? But um, based on what we discussed and what Alan has gathered, it's clearly not that. Um, there, funnily enough, the article tries, the some of the news reports tried to link it to um, a, what looks like a, a more genuine paranormal event at a local castle, as if this is somehow connected, which, of course, is a completely false connection. I think this may have been damage limitation. They realised this was out in the media now, and they had to somehow confuse it, muddle it up. Well, I wonder how much that happens, actually, because I just watched the um, the Hellfire Caves documentary that David Icke did, where because I live very near there, actually. I drive past it on the way to certain jobs. Um, and that's all dressed up as something that's quite innocent on the surface. It's It, it seems like very much the same thing there. I went to the, those caves too. Um, and it, they are quite spooky. They've got a very dark atmosphere. And um, Sir Francis Dashwood, the guy who built them, who, and um, he has this big mausoleum on top of the hill, which looks like some kind of horrible temple. They filmed horror movies in that building, inside that mausoleum. Um, people like people like Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the United States, 
was a member of this club. Benjamin Disraeli, the prime minister of this country from sometime in the 19th century, he was a member. Um, this is not unlike the uh, Skull and Bone Society, or rather, the, um, sorry, the Bohemian Grove Society in the United States, which uh, Alex Jones exposed as, um, as, as, as a long time ago as being... On the, on the surface, it looks like some kind of just some fraternity where they do silly things. But he said there were black curtains hanging up and you certain, only certain people go behind the black curtains and things like that. Yeah, so the, so the key with that is obviously I'm aware of sort of Bohemian Grove and Pizzagate and um, a dark Hollywood stuff. Um, but, you know, this is suddenly a different story because this... It's going on right now. There's no distance. I I lived in Wales for over a decade. Um, so I don't know. This felt very immediate to me. Nothing's been done. Nothing has been exposed. This is just a man called Alan trying to get the word out. This is not on the level of Alex Jones, but it but it needs to be, basically. I mean, it's for the first time we've actually got the recordings. Everybody can listen to them, anybody that wants them. We put all our stuff into the public domain. These are real noises really happening. Anybody that listens to them doesn't come away thinking, no, that's not real, they've been downloaded on the internet, they're somehow fudged or something like that. You come away thinking they are 100% genuine. People are getting hurt. Yeah, and there's no reason to think that anything has stopped. Um, Is there anything local... In the landscape, the, 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 I want to crack into the tunnels aspect of this um, be, because you've also used sonar equipment to demonstrate that there is a tunnel down there. Um, like, can you tell us about your investigation in terms of mapping what you think is underground? Yeah, now the area is it's an old mining village. So there are the, the, lo- the local coal mines and everything else like that. There are also mineral mines in the area. Uh, across the road, there was a former World War II bunker, but it's supposed to be capped. Um, directly across the road, there's a bus station. Now, originally, that bus station had two underground toilets, a man's and a woman's. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, in the cellar of um, Sophia Nails, the guy called Gareth once showed me inside the cellar, and he took me down the staircase. So I had a look around. Um, it was oh, many years ago, probably 2000s, before all this happened anyway. But at the point, he took me down the staircase. I looked around. There was nothing in there that I could see. Now, this was because there was some heavy drilling going on. And I mean really heavy. It was vibrating the alleyway. Anyway, when I looked at the old plans, it turns out the staircase isn't actually where he took me down, but about three metres back on the other wall. Now, that leaves a void there of about three metres square. Um, as for mapping out, we asked the shop owners, Jane, John and Gareth Edwards, could we use the acoustic sonar in their basement because it seemed like there was a void between mine and ours and we didn't get an answer. They just totally refused. I've got a letter that I sent some by recorded post. They signed for it, but no, they wouldn't give us um, permission. The other tunnel out the back, we pinpointed a location that was in the back garden Um behind our house to the right-hand side. The guy, Gareth, phoned me up and he asked me where it was. Um, It seemed a bit on the suspicious side, but I did tell him. And we've got before and after photos. And before his phone call, you can see it's massively overgrown. 
after his phone call, it's all been landscaped and filled in. Wait, so he's he's dealt with it after you've rung up? After he rang me, oh. uh, the very next thing that seemed to happen is he filled it in. Well, sorry, someone filled it in. Someone filled it in. Okay. It's it, it's extensive, all of this. Oh, there's, there's loads. But in that particular instance, we've got before photos, then his phone call, then we've got the after photos, and we've also got, there were 50 bags of rubble. Now, not branches or anything else like that, but rubble that were in the lane. And we think they actually filled the, it in. It was going into the tunnel. Oh, you said, well, wait, so that was leftover. No, 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 no. I think what they've done is they've landscaped it all. Yes. And then filled in the tunnel. So they've dropped the top of the tunnel and then filled it all in with all the bags of rubble. Right. I see. Wait, sorry. The, the rubble wasn't left over. It was, it was then used. No, to be honest, I don't know. All I know is somebody went back there, it was taking photos and there were 50 bags of rubble there. And they're not even sure if it was just 50 bags or it's just 50 bags on that day. Right, yeah, so there's a lot of evidence of um, an extensive landscaping job going on, basically, in the wake of, of you investigating this. That's about right, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I I still can't really get my head around what we're looking at because, because of, of the two situations at once, the foreign human trafficking element, but then also... Um, I mean, I mean the the people that uh, own the nail bar. Did you you were giving me some Vietnamese ah, Vietnamese names, but also some Welsh names there? Yes, uh, it, the, the shop Sophia Nails is owned by two people, Jane John and Gareth Edwards. That's brother and sister, mm-hmm. and they lease it to a lady called Trang Thang Tran, who then goes on to hire Vietnamese people who work in the bar or did. Yeah, and and have you had a fair bit of contact with these two? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I've had contact with all of them. Um, The Vietnamese people, in fairness, were really, really nice to us. Um, They were friendly, no problems with them, Um, but they were messy people. They always used to leave the rubbish out the back. And if I was back and I saw lots of rubbish there, I'd pick it up and I'd take it to the tip. Now, normally... They weren't bothered about it. But one particular time, I took a load of stuff to the tip. And as I flung it out, something fell out and hit my leg. And when I looked down, there were five um, bags, white bags sealed. They were wrapped around in like, um, oh, what do they call that stuff? Poly, what do they call it? Bandage. Like a bandage. Then wrapped in plastic, elastic band on the top, then wrapped around again. And there were five briquettes that would look like a leaf material. And when you cut into them, there's like a glowing crystal inside. Instantly, it got straight into your eyes and everything. But that's not the point of the story. So I threw it all away. When I went, when I got back, the Vietnamese guy was waiting for me, big guy, and he was absolutely livid. I've never ever seen him angry before. He was absolutely livid. He went mental. Uh, his wife was in the side as if something had gone wrong. She had tears in her eyes, but she looked more frightened than anything else. Right, so they were perfectly friendly to you until you discovered something that you that you shouldn't have. There was something there. There was five five bags and five of these briquettes things. I've no idea what they are to the day. 
Yeah, it's just that that is quite apart from um, hearing uh, infants screaming in English about wanting their clothes back and gunshots um, and please help me and all of that. Um, do you see what I mean? I do, as you've said, you, you can't really draw any conclusions on what it is that is happening but you said you've said slavery sorry i'm just so confused by the story that you've brought to us i agree it's bizarre totally bizarre yeah think of it like yeah think of it like this if i was making it up it would be more coherent i could tell you a story if i wanted to that's exactly right. Uh, so w- wait, so Ben has been a great help in this. Uh, how long? How long have you been in contact with him? Oh, Ben's been in from more or less the start. So uh, I think I got in touch with Ben second of May. I think it was two thousand nine. The first time we done a podcast together. Oh right, a long time then. Yes, yeah. Ben's been around a while. Yeah, cool. And um, and it is picking up steam now. Is this through TikTok and such? Yeah, slowly but surely we've been building on it. In 2019, we were almost wiped off the internet. Yeah, our website went down, um, our social media channels went down and everything. We actually spent COVID in the back of the van rebuilding everything, um, getting the recordings back from backups we'd made and things like that. Yeah, to make it very clear, this was your home, which, you know, uh, and then and then something horrific happened there and you're not... <laughs> You're not able. I, I, well, it's worse than that. You think there was potentially an attempt on your life while you were there, right? Well, it's not just an attempt on our life. When we got out, it was like they didn't have a plan B. And two different cars tried to run us off the road, but just driving straight towards us on the uh, mountain roads. Um, that's why we live in a van, and that's why we didn't stick around. <laughs> so this is crazy. I, I mean, I'm really... Uh... I'm impressed at how much you've um, dedicated yourself to this and how, because uh, there's a lot of people trying to threaten you. There's a lot of people trying to get you to shut up, it looks like. Yeah, I would agree with that. But the thing is, once you've heard those children's screams, they don't leave you. They stay in your head. I mean, what are you supposed to do? What sort of person are you if you're actually don't do your best to either get justice for them, because I actually do believe some of them have died, but to stop the perpetrators from doing it to other kids. Yes, exactly right. So so there are more people that are, have invited you on and, and that we're going to talk this through. Say again? Like the, you've got a few more podcasts lined up and stuff. We are getting the ball rolling. Oh, yes, yes. It's, it's starting to go now. I mean, we've got more on YouTube than we've ever had. Same with TikTok. And uh, I think at the moment we've got six podcasts booked, uh, interviews, if you like. And hopefully there's going to be more. The more people that know is the more pressure that is brought on the authorities to actually do something. And were the, um, the, like the nail bar owners and all of that, were they... Was there not a flurry of these ghost hunter types? Did they all come at once? And was there a bit of attention on the town that was unwanted? Or how did that go down? Not really. I mean, there would be the odd one. Initially, I didn't want to put anybody at risk. So when people said to me, Alan, can we go to your house? I said no. But then after a period of time, I'm thinking, well, I haven't actually got anything. If those people go to my house, at least they're going to make recordings for themselves. And if they record something, it gives more credibility to, you know, what I said. 
So uh, we spoke to one woman. We gave her the keys to the house, asked her to change the lock. Um, and from that point on, everybody had the keys to the house, the only keys. And that bit proves that the, the recordings couldn't have been tampered with by anybody. Yeah, and, and you are also saying um, that, that you're kind of encouraging people to go there and and, and continue doing this um, or saying there's no, there's no problem with anyone doing this. You, you're not precious about being the guy that found the evidence. You want this to keep going. I want justice for the children that were that were heard screaming that day. Um, I don't know what's going on, but it sounds particularly horrible. Um, I'm not bothered for fame and glory. If I did, you know, you'd be able to see my picture now. That's exactly right, and I think that is one of the biggest tells because the um, I, I've watched. Um, well, I've listened to some of the calls of um, of people trying to say that you're a glory hunter, and and the fact is, I've there's, there's so many things that have happened to you that when I've been doing an investigation, I go, oh yeah, no, that happened to me. They tried to say they tried to say you're crazy and that, um, but in your case, it was just so obvious because all you care about is this, you know, getting justice for this one issue. You're not all over the place. You're not looking for attention and as you say i mean you you strike me as the opposite of a glory hunter and so when someone is is calling you that that to me is really giving the game away yeah i agree with you a lot of the things that are said about me identify the other side um they've got an ulterior motive for doing so yeah well it's it's difficult for me to wrap my head around the scale of it that's that's the truth. So I can't I can't imagine how it was for you um living through it. I do, I, I want to understand more about like um about when you ran away in your van and and how it felt then. I mean you're you're in a house where you know something is going on underneath it that has children screaming and gunshots. You've got um, the next door neighbours seem to be facilitating it and the police are doing absolutely nothing to help and then you've got a poisonous gas in your house. How how are you doing, Alan? Because that's really how heavy. Are doing, how are we doing now? Well, it's just, I, I presume you were just a normal guy who had a normal life before this. Yeah. Absolutely normal guy, wrong place, wrong time, all that lot. Um, but it doesn't happen like people think it happens. I mean, on the first day, you take all the events that are in front of you and you think something's wrong here, what we're going to do. Well, let's get out of the house because gas and everything. We'll report to the police they're about to do something. And then they don't. And then you think, well, it's going to be sorted because you can take it higher up. So we reported it at different police places, different crime watch, everywhere we could think of. And you think they're going to do something. And then the days become weeks, the weeks become months, and here we are. The months have become years. We're now on, by July, it'll be the fifth year. Well, I'm happy to be doing whatever I can to let more people know. I'm really thankful to the one guy that plonked this in, in my inbox. And we will just try and get some more um, more attention off, on this. Where, where can people follow everything? You've got the YouTube channel. You've got a Telegram page. Is there anything else? We have a, a website, 
I've just redone the website to narrow it down because we've made so many videos now. Mm -hmm. It's literally amonfordscreams.co.uk. 